I'd like you to turn to uh, the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 36 through 50. While you're finding that, let me take you back to the late 19th century in South Africa. A young man had been invited to dinner by the prime minister of South Africa, a guy named John Cecil Rhodes. The young man lived quite a distance away from where the prime minister's house was, so he had to take a train. So train travel back then was a little bit different than it is now, in particular in South Africa. No windows on the trains. They were slow. It was dirty. It was gritty. So the young man arrives late at the prime minister's house, and his, his clothes are a mess. They're dirty. They're crumpled. He's been sweating for hours. And, and so he walks into the prime minister's house, and everybody is dressed in formal evening attire. And he's absolutely embarrassed. He's ashamed. He hasn't had time to change. And he's looking for the prime minister, and he can't find him. And about 10 minutes after he got there, the prime minister enters the room, and he's wearing an old, tattered suit. And the reason he wore the old, tattered suit is he didn't want his young guest to be embarrassed. And so the prime minister humbled himself. It's an extreme act. I mean, he's a prime minister of South Africa. And so he humbled himself for the welfare of this young man that he knew. So, and so I want to talk to you about humility today. And here's the truth that I'd like you to take home. Humility will bring you closer to Jesus. Humility brings us closer to Jesus. Now, this is something we just really need to absorb in the environment that we're in today. Last week, we heard about John the Baptist. He had a question. Uh, are you the one? We found out in, through that entire passage that we can be assured of our salvation. We can be assured of our salvation if we love God, if we call him Lord, and that we can't do either one of those unless the Holy Spirit is inside us. And if the Holy Spirit is inside us, that is a deposit on our eternal life. So that's our guarantee. Now, this week, we're going to see how you can gain that eternal life, that eternal welfare. And we're going to see it in the story of two people. One of them is an outcast, uh, filthy as far as the community is concerned, has a bad reputation. And the other one is a man who has status and esteem in his city. So this is the harlot and the holy man. This is part 19 of our ongoing series in Luke, God's love for everyone. So as, as this progresses, I want you to watch the development of the narrative that Luke is trying to usher us through. Uh, because things are beginning to happen. Jesus is growing in popularity. The crowds are getting bigger. It's getting to the point to where before he enters the town, people know he's coming. And so there's a crowd waiting for him. There's a crowd following him. But at the same time, every time he encounters somebody from the Sanhedrin, every time he encounters a Pharisee, a Sadducee, or a priest, or, or a uh, scribe, uh, the, the tension is growing between them. It's always an embarrassing thing. Jesus is not out to get them, but Jesus is out to expose their pride, their arrogance, 
uh, their self-righteousness. And so this is really kind of an act of love on behalf of Jesus. He's giving them an opportunity to examine their hearts and, and see their posture before their Father in heaven. Just they're not very fond of that whole notion. So that's what's happening as we enter uh, 7 and 8 of Luke. And in today's passage, we have two characters. We have a harlot, uh, and we see her story in verse 36 through 38. We see the end of her story in verse 50. It's the last we hear of her. And then we see this story of the holy man in verses 39 through 49. There's a parable in there that kind of brings everything into focus. So I want to take a look at the harlot. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, this invitation uh, is a gesture of respect. Uh, the, 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 the guy who sends the invitation, is he, he sees Jesus as an equal. And that's kind of the beginning of the problem. Uh, but he's being gracious. And the way he would do this is he's not just saying, well, why don't you come over and we'll have some burgers. Uh, this is an event. This would be a community event. So they would have the table set up. And there would be maybe 10, 15 people there. They would all be dignitaries of the town. Uh, they didn't sit at tables like we do. Uh, they would have a very low table, and there would be cushions all around the table, maybe, maybe even little low-profile sofas. And the guests would lean in towards the, the dinner table and lean on their left hand and eat with their right hand. So their feet were to the outside, their faces were to the inside, and they would talk. And because it would be the dignitaries of the town, and generally the discussion had some meat, would have some substance to it, the people of the town were allowed to come in and listen to them talk. So it was kind of a, a teaching event. It, it, it was just something that the whole town would be aware of. So uh, we see a similar passage in Matthew, Mark, and John. Uh, with a guy named Simon the leper. Uh, this is not the same passage, so we don't want to get the two confused and start overlapping them. Uh, this is Simon the Pharisee, and we know that it's not the same passage because a leper could never be a Pharisee. So this is a separate, separate passage from those two. And so the dinner is on, people are gathering, uh, the guys are sitting at the table, they're talking with each other, and the, the community standing around, and it says in verse 37, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, this introduces the main character of the story. She is a hymartolos. Okay? And so, uh, all that means is sinner. We don't really know what type of sinner she is. The text doesn't tell us. But tradition tells us that she was a prostitute. So, it says, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, this is significant. She hears that Jesus is at the table. She goes in and joins the community. She's not barging into the party. She's not making a spectacle of herself. She's just one of the crowd. But she has this alabaster jar of ointment. And it's significant that Luke tells us it's an ointment. It's not oil. Uh, so oil was fairly easy to come by, uh, olive oil in the region. Uh, this is, uh, some uh, passages would call this nard. It's really expensive, really aromatic, uh, 
almost like a paste, okay? And she has an alabaster flask of it, the standard flask would hold enough of this ointment that it would represent somewhere around 18 to 20 months of pay. So this is an incredible sacrifice on this woman to have this ointment with her, and particularly when we see what she's going to do with it. Verse 38, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, if you go Google this event on, on the Internet, you're going to find a picture of Jesus sitting in a chair and her kneeling down. That, that's not what's going on. Uh, she can't get to where Jesus is pointed. So the only access she has to Jesus is his feet being splayed out behind him. So she's gotten as close as she can to Jesus. And she anoints him with his oil. 20 months or so of, of income, and she puts it on Jesus, and she has no towel, so she's wiping his feet with her hair. And she's weeping. Now, we don't know why she's weeping. It could be out of grief. It could be out of joy. I believe it's out of both. I believe that as she encounters Jesus, she's gone there to see him. She's taken the most valuable thing that she has, and she's giving it to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something going on in this woman's heart. I believe she is weeping over the fact that she knows who she is. She knows what her reputation is. The whole town knows. There were no secrets back then. Everybody would know who she is. Everybody would know what she's done. So she knows where she stands in this community. She knows where she stands with her father in heaven. And she knows that the one who seated, be, seated before her has mercy and has grace. I believe there are tears of joy and tears of grief at the same time. And she's bowed down and she's doing everything she can to serve Jesus Christ. And she humbles herself. In, in the, doing this act of service, she, she has to bow down in front of the entire community, and she doesn't even have a towel with her, so she dries his feet with her hair. It's an incredible moment. And if you want to see the impact this has on the woman, we look down at verse 50. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, Go in peace. So notice, the woman never says a word. Her actions reveal her heart. Her actions reveal her intention. Her sacrifice, her service, and her humility are all expressions of the faith she has in Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, this harlot, this prostitute, receives a new life. She's transformed. Once again, an encounter with Jesus Christ, uh, an encounter marked by faith and trust and humility results in new life. Transformation occurs right there in front of the entire community. So the harlot has a new life. Well, let's take a look at the holy man. Verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, he speaks truth. She is. She's a sinner. 
But now we know why, at least we know one of the reasons why, Jesus has been invited. Simon thought maybe this guy's a prophet. Maybe, maybe he's trying to find out whether or not he's a prophet. His, his, his statement surely, surely uh, reveals the fact that he's wondering whether or not Jesus is a prophet. Now he's determined that he's not. And what Simon doesn't know is that Jesus knows exactly who this woman is. So not only does he know who the woman is, but he knows exactly what Simon is thinking. I got to tell you something. (laughs) That'll keep you up at night, won't it? Hoping that Jesus doesn't know what you're thinking while you're thinking that he knows what you're thinking. (laughs) God knows the heart and the intent of men. I've said this before. The, the, The thought of privacy is a myth. There are no secrets, brothers and sisters. There's nothing that is hidden from God's sight, even our thoughts. So this is a revealing moment for Simon. You know, he's, he's a leader. He's a holy man. Originally, these positions were established so that they could shepherd God's people, shepherd the people of Israel. But by Jesus' time, things had changed. The Sanhedrin had become a body that sought to control the people rather than shepherd them. And this woman, this woman who's considered a sinner, the one who is tainted, for the Pharisee to come into contact with her would require him to go through ritual cleansing for seven days, just, just touching the woman. And furthermore... She was beneath him. He was better than her. If if he was seen associating with her, his reputation would be tarnished. So instead of helping the woman and shepherding her, Simon judges her. He condemns her. What he really does is he rejects her. So the Pharisee, watch what's happening here, The Pharisee, the holy man, the pious individual rejects while Jesus receives. Jesus touches. He shows mercy. He exhibits grace. Oh, brothers and sisters. There's there's so much anger outside those doors. So much that would encourage us to judge to take the role of the Pharisee and to forsake the role of Jesus Christ who receives, who has mercy who has grace who's willing to get dirty in order to save a soul that would be a good lesson for us amen you know, I can't hear when you say amen because you're all wearing masks. Amen. Yeah. Okay, thanks. So we can learn that lesson. The question is, in, in the narrative here, is has Simon learned the lesson? So in verse 40, we see this. And Jesus answering said to him, remember, Simon hasn't said anything. He's just thinking. 
So Jesus turns to him in the middle of his thought and says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Now, there's no disrespect here. There's no sarcasm. He's saying, okay, teacher, tell me what you want to tell me. But there is some doubt about who Jesus is. I mean, he was just thinking that this guy were really a prophet. He wouldn't know what's going on here, and he wouldn't be doing this thing here. So, as we're, we'll soon see, Jesus knows that there's some doubt in Simon's mind. So, he tells him a parable to answer the, the objections that Simon has about this woman. And in verse 31, 41, he says, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, I, there's really no way to make this work in dollars and cents. But just suffice it to say that the, the ointment was about 18 months of, of pay. The 500 denarii would be over two years, maybe, maybe a little bit more for the average worker. And the 50 denarii would be about 10% of that. So that, that's what Luke wants us to see. There's a big debt and a small debt. Uh, the, the big debt is 90% bigger than the small debt. So one is huge, the other is manageable. Verse 42, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? So the first lesson that Jesus teaches this Pharisee is one of grace. It would be absolutely startling to think that the moneylender would, would forgive any of the debt. I mean, that's the whole reason he was a moneylender. He was lending money out. He was going back and collecting it. And so that was his reason for being, was collecting debt. So it's totally unthinkable for him to forgive any debt. Uh, maybe there might be some reason he forgives the 50 denarii, but it's, it's so absolutely astonishing that he would forgive 500. So we see the grace in the moneylender. So neither one of them could pay. The moneylender could, he had two options. He could put those debtors in prison until they paid. And, well, you know where that's going to go because you can't earn any money while you're in prison. So you could end up in prison for the rest of your life. Or he could force them to become slaves. He could sell them. There's a number of things he could do. So those are the two alternatives the moneylender has. And he doesn't exercise either one of them. He forgives both of them. Now, needless to say, both debtors would be extremely thankful for being forgiven for their debts because they were in big trouble if they couldn't pay. But the one with the larger debt would be even more thankful. And Simon sees that. He gets it. What we're not sure if, uh, about Simon is whether or not he sees the big picture. Because in, in the parable, uh, the moneylender represents God. The one with the large debt is the woman. The one with the small debt, or the one who thinks he has a small debt, is Simon. And the woman realizes the amount of grace she's received and results in tears and, and humility. And she has received this grace and she's thankful for it. So Simon has the right answer. The question is whether or not he's learned the lesson. So we see this in 43. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. So Jesus affirms Simon's observation. And no doubt, 
Simon is sitting there going, well, I got that one right. You know how good you feel when, when you were sitting in class and the teacher asked a question and you had the answer. You're like, ooh, 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 me, me. Okay, that's Simon right now. But the problem that Simon has is he's not connecting the dots. Now watch this. Simon has just heard the word of God. He doesn't think it applies to him. He doesn't think the parable is about him. You see the danger in reading the word of God? And let's just say you're struggling with somebody in your life. And going, they need to read this. <laughs> Wait till I show them this. <laughs> this applies to you. Okay, Simon's thinking, nice story, what's it got to do with me? You know, I can see where maybe this woman has a large debt. So we got to be careful that we don't make the mistake that Simon made. And think that the Bible isn't speaking to us. I think we're really comfortable with the idea that the Bible is my story. It's the story of my redemption. And you know, that's true. It is. It is. You know, if we're saved, if you know Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, the Bible is a story of your redemption and how God brought that about. But the Bible is not about us. I mean, it's history. <laughs> why, why do you think they call it that? It's a story about him. It's a story about God. And the, the real story that we see in the Bible is how God is going to refine and redeem his people, and that includes me. I need to be refined. I need to be redeemed. So we don't want to be Simons while we're reading our scriptures. Well, I know somebody that struggles with that sin. And, you know, we want to be recipients of grace. So Jesus feels like he needs to bring the lesson home to Simon. He needs to make it clear. And he does that by contrasting Simon, the holy man, with this woman, the harlot. Verse 44. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon. Now he's looking at the woman and talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? He says. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Now, there, there's, there's some debate over whether a host was obligated to wash the feet of a guest. Uh, it probably wasn't, but it was certainly a sign of courtesy. It would be a sign of respect. It would be a sign of Simon extending himself for this guest and honoring him. Simon has not done that. He's not being rude, but neither is he going out of his way to honor Jesus Christ. The woman totally humbled herself and honored Jesus in a unique and totally meaningful way. Then verse 45, he says to Simon, you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Now, again, there was a greeting that they would share. If you, if you go over to the, the Mediterranean region... If you go to the Mideast, you'll see that people greet each other in some places in Europe as well. They'll give you a kiss on one cheek and a kiss on another cheek. And if they're feeling a lot of affection for you, they might give you a third kiss on the opposite cheek again. Okay, so this was, again, a gesture of affection, a, guest, a gesture of, of respect. Simon hasn't done this. And the woman has not only greeted Jesus with a kiss, but she's kissed 
his feet. She's done it out of appreciation. She's done it out of humility. She was comfortable enough to approach Jesus and trusted him enough to be, to be approachable. Meanwhile, Simon has kept his distance. He's trying to figure out who this guy is. And as a result of that, he began to judge the woman, but he judged Jesus as well, if he were a prophet. So now Jesus isn't even a prophet in Simon's eyes. Verse 46, he says to Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my head with ointment. Again, it would be an act of courtesy, an act of respect to pour oil on a guest's head. You know, when you walk through the village, if you've been on a trip, there's dust and dirt all over the place, and, and the oil on the head would cause the dirt to calm down, and you wouldn't have dust in your eyes. So it, it was, it was a, another inexpensive way to honor your, your guest, and Simon doesn't even honor Jesus with this level of courtesy with, with a little bit of oil, which is really cheap, the woman gives everything she's had. She sacrificed everything she's had. Most likely, her, her life savings as a sign of respect and an act of sacrifice and service to her, her Lord and Savior. Simon doesn't get who Jesus is. He just doesn't understand it. He thought Jesus might be a prophet, but before the parable, he even doubted that. The woman falls at Jesus' feet. She mourns her condition. She takes joy at who Jesus Christ is. And she's willing to sacrifice everything she has, including humiliate herself before him just to honor Jesus Christ. And so the result of that shows up in verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says to Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And the inference is that Simon has very little love. That Simon thinks he has very little to be forgiven of. Perhaps Simon believes that his sins are so little that he has no need of forgiveness. He's so far above this woman. She needs forgiveness, but I'm a holy man. I'm a Pharisee. Now we see this theme pop up frequently in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes and demonstrates righteousness and those who are self-righteous get angry at him. So Simon's a good guy. A pious man. Well respected in the community. But Jesus just told them, your problem is you think you have nothing to be forgiven of. Simon has very little love. So when Jesus speaks next, he only talks to the woman. Now, watch this. The town is gathered. The dignitaries are there. These are all the influential men in the town. These are all the holy guys. Simon has thrown this party to show he's got enough influence in the region to bring this supposed prophet in and have a discussion with these guys. And now Jesus ignores all of them and speaks to the one that they believe is least worthy. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
important to understand that the sins aren't forgiven because of the behavior of this woman. It's because of the heart that motivated the behavior. Everything that she did was out of her love and her gratitude for Jesus Christ. Verse 49, And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Now that's probably a sarcastic statement. That's probably the reaction of those town dignitaries to Jesus ignoring them. Who does he think he is? Forgiving sins. And the next unsaid phrase would be, only God can forgive sins. To which Jesus would go, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. So we have these two characters. We have this harlot who's made the sacrifice, who's performed this act of service, who has humbled herself before the Lord, revealing a heart that is thankful and grateful for who he is and what he's doing. She gets a new life. We have the holy man who should know better. And he's filled with pride. He's filled with questions and accusations. And he sees Jesus as an equal, but he doesn't see him as Savior and Lord. And the problem the holy man has, brothers and sisters, is he's not willing to humble himself. He's not willing to show humility. So what we've seen in this scenario is humility will bring you closer to Jesus Christ. Humility will bring you closer to Jesus Christ. The woman at his feet, being touched, being changed. The holy man standing off to the side, judging the woman, condemning her, and even going so far as to judge Christ himself. And what you and I need to realize today is that we all need to be forgiven the way the woman knew that she needed to be forgiven. And how do we get that forgiveness? We humble ourselves. We admit our sin. And we serve Jesus Christ. That's what the woman did. She sacrificed. She served. She humbled herself. She came to him asking for his presence and she received it. Christ honors humility, particularly in his church. And he demonstrated how much he honors humility by laying down on the cross and letting the authorities of the day nail him to the cross until he gave up his life so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. Where do we draw the line? That's where we draw the line. Christ honors humility in his church. And I've got to be honest with you. That is the one ingredient that is absent from the dialogue, if you want to call it dialogue, that all of us are having today. There's no humility on anybody's part. Everybody is so adamant that they're right. Everybody is so adamant. Listen to me. Everybody. So adamant that their sins are so few that they need no forgiveness. 
and pointing their fingers at each other and going, look at that, look at that, look at that. And if we're not careful, the church could end up standing on the sidelines like Simon and missing the blessing of an intimate encounter with our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to humble ourselves. We need to shed tears of grief over what we've done and tears of joy over what he's done. We need to sacrifice. We need to serve our Lord Jesus Christ in humility and grace and mercy. That's the lesson we get from the harlot and holy man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us hard things to do. Lord, we confess that these things are difficult. These lessons are, are much easier to assign to people that were long ago and far away and far more difficult for us to appropriate into our lives. But Lord, we thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit. We thank you that your son died so that we could have that deposit, that guarantee of eternal life that can usher us through these moments when we should be humbling ourselves and we do all but that. So Father, we pray that you would be our strength. We pray that you would be our encouragement. We pray, Father, that you would be our guide, our counselor, in our conscience. And we pray this in the precious and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'd like you to stand for a blessing, please. Let's pray. Peace be to our brothers and sisters and love with faith from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love that is incorruptible. We give you thanks, Father, in his name. Amen. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. You people outside, it's good to see you.